Lights, camera, action. All three are in this edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round. Well, I'm in Leicester Square, which has been uh, quite the place for these podcasts, and it's a delight to delve behind the scenes with a gentleman who's worked on the show, so I'm going to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Right, I'm Ian Dow. I was an engineering manager on Outside Broadcast, and I did the last uh, three years of Doctor Who of the original block, all the Sylvester McCoy ones, which were done with a two-camera OB unit, and we used to knock off 11 or 12 minutes a day. And uh, that wasn't your introduction to Doctor Who, though, because you go right back to the beginning. Well, yes. well uh, early black and white. Yes, as, as a young engineer in the studios, I did some of the Pat, Patrick Troughton ones and Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines. I mean, they, they were terrible gigglers. And I remember on one occasion there was a, a castle had to explode and they'd done it by zapping... Um, it was all polystyrene bricks and they had fastened them to the wall with bungee rubber, such that when you pull, when one of the scene boys pulled out one of the bricks, well, the whole castle flew apart. And uh, it, it worked very well, but uh, they needed to do it, do it a second take. Now, what had actually happened was one of, the, one of these big blocks had flown over the top of the set into a different set. So the scene crew were attempting to reassemble the castle with an important bit missing, and they couldn't do it. And people in the studio were in hysterics, including Patrick and Fraser. And when they eventually found this bit, we had something like two minutes of recording time left. And we ran, we, we ran the shot, and no way could they stop giggling. <laughs> and, I mean, the producer was furious. And eventually, as I remember it, they almost had to shoot from behind them so as you couldn't see their faces in order to get it in the can before the, uh, the 10 o'clock deadline, which meant you went into an overrun, which costs money. So that was the 60s. So what, what had got you to the BBC at that point? And what was your background? And, 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 and how did you decide that, you know, that engineering or entertainment and television would be what you'd be doing? When I was at school, I used to organise trips up to TV shows and be in the audience. And we went up and we saw Hancock's Half Hour, we saw Ask Pickles, we saw the Army Game. And I used to watch this lot and think, that looks good fun. People would sit around reading newspapers and occasionally they'd jump up and do things. And it sort of... I I just thought it, it looked great. And so I attempted to get a job directly with the Beeb as an engineer, and they said I should get a university degree. And uh, when I went to try and get a university degree, I discovered that I could get a sandwich course with EMI Electronics. Now, at that time, EMI made television cameras. So I thought this would be a good way of doing it. So I had one year with EMI, three years Southampton University doing electronics, a further year with EMI. But in fact, I ended up in the Military Projects Research Division doing warheads for missiles. Um, but I went back to EMI for about two years afterwards because I felt I ought to do something for them. Um, and then I applied to the Beeb and, and to Associated Rediffusion, which were at Wembley at the time. But I got the BBC job, and in fact, during the interview, one of the questions was, uh, when I said I worked on missile warheads, 
I said, uh, they said, can you tell me about the power supplies you use on missile warheads? And I had no idea. And so I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed to under the Official Secrets Act. <laughs> and the guy said, touche. And I think he knew I was lying, but I got the job. <laughs> Very good. Um, so, so what a, before we get to um, those final years of Doctor Who, um, in terms of television drama that you worked on to, to, to get to that point, what, what are some of the highlights and memories of, of shows that you worked on at the Beeb? I basically, I was uh, first of all in, uh, in television theatre. Now, I mean, I, I was sent to television theatre for three months. The first show I did was Sports View Personality of the Year. And at the end of the show, which was live, I was going to go home, and the crew said, No, 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 there's some food downstairs. So I went downstairs. A great lineup of food. All the sportsmen were there. I chatted to Henry Cooper, and I thought to myself, "This is a really good job if this happens at the end of every show." And of course, it didn't. I, I had hit the highlight of the year at Television Theatre. <clears throat> but we did, um, we did Rolf Harris, Silla uh, Black, and Crackerjack. And uh, the only problem with Crackerjack was I was, uh, I was. Uh, they thought I was the drummer with the Who and I was pursued up Shepherd's Bush Road by a pack of brownies on my way to try and get, get a meal at Television Centre. They thought you were Keith Moon, did they? They thought I was somebody, yes. <laughs> Extraordinary. And, um, and so I, I'm guessing that you, you, couldn't, you, you were allocated... I was allocated as a studio, so I did whatever came into that studio. And uh, although initially I went into Studio 2, which was one of the medium-sized studios, I then went into TC4, which was uh, one of the five large studios in Television Centre. And that used to have a mixture of drama, light entertainment, comedy, sitcoms. And that's where I I did the first Doctor Who's. And I was in there when it was colourised. So I went in in black and white. And then I worked for about four months getting the colour cameras in. And I then stayed in there for about the first two years of colour. And, I mean, television is always something we, we take for granted, I think, as, as, as viewers. Uh, and it's only latterly that we look back on some of that and say, well, was this the golden age of television? Yeah. I mean, for you guys, were you aware that you were doing stuff that was, was going to go down? Or was it just all disposable no, oh no, no, it well, certainly wasn't disposable. I mean, I did some of the moon landings, for instance, with James Burke, Patrick Moore. I mean, Pat, Patrick was a disaster. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, was, a, he was a lovely man. Um, you all know about his hair, but he would, when he was coming on uh, in, uh, in the studio, the makeup girl with about 10 seconds would go, would suddenly comb his hair, and with three seconds ago, he'd put his hand straight through it, pull it over his face, and say, Good evening, this is Patrick Moore. <laughs> And I remember we cut to him once and he wasn't there. We cut to an empty chair. And they couldn't find him. It was a live show. They couldn't find him anywhere. And he was in the electrician's room chalk, uh, with a chalk and a blackboard explaining to the, the electricians the relationship between the moon and earth. And it was a wonderful <laughs> man. Fantastic. I, d- I did an OB with him from his home in Selsey. And this, this was a live sky at night, which was going out mid-evening. And when we came to do the dress rehearsal, which was very important to producers, the dress rehearsal, he said he couldn't take part because he had to bath the children. And off he went. And, <laughs> and so we, we did a dress rehearsal without the chief presenter. And then for the show, he came back and, and did the show. He, he, he was great fun. Fantastic. But, but, I mean, moon landings, we're talking historical yeah. moments yes. there. So yeah. you, you, you've been... 
sort of a witness and a, and a, a chronicler of, of major events. I was a young engineer, colour balancing, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I went in Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and did whatever came into Studio 4. Well, we've gathered nominally to, uh, to discuss uh, Doctor Who, so let's, I suppose, we just go, go through the stories in order and see what leaps out, and I'll, I'll prompt with, with um, by sort of going, title Time and the Rani was the first one, directed by Andrew Morgan, yep. uh, Quarry, Kate O'Mara, Bonnie Langford. Rain. I think, I think rain was a feature of that. It rained for five days solid, and we were supposed to be on a, on a, on a barren planet. And so in the close-ups, we were having to hold a, an umbrella over the camera, and various people were having to lean in with tissues, trying to catch the drips off the spines of the umbrella so as they didn't drop through the close-ups. And the other thing I remember about that was that uh, it, it's probably the only planet that uh, had a dog on it because John, uh, John Nathan Turner's dog, Pepsi. I didn't understand that the, the dog belonged... Uh, I didn't understand the dog belonged to John. And so I was thinking, why doesn't the production manager, Gary Downey, kick the dog? <laughs> and I suddenly realised all three lived together. And so in the back of shot, you will see the dog ambling across the planet, looking, looking rather bedraggled. <laughs> Well, because uh, talk of John and talk of um, the, 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 the show at that time, let's not forget this is at the back end of, of Doctor Who. Did you feel you were working on a show that was, as some people who worked on it at the time felt, felt, felt was the signal they were getting from the BBC, that it was an unloved show? I wasn't in that sort of... Uh, I mean, I was simply an engineer and a lighting person in charge of the outside broadcast unit, so I wasn't across the politics... Um, it, it's probably fair to say at the end uh, it was. Uh, I mean, John Nathan Turner rang me up and said, "Look, I'm sorry, we we haven't got, we haven't got another block." But I don't think I was aware of it. Um, you know, an outside broadcast, you might do football one week, you might then go straight and do a promenade concert, and then the next week you're allocated to Doctor Who. I wasn't sort of across the politics. I went and did the shows and walked away, basically. But something we touched upon before we started recording that I think is quite interesting and worth community tape is that, I don't know if it was just this job, but jobs in general done by you and your team at the BBC... People worked hard and were prepared to go the extra mile, wasn't it? Most of the people who worked on Doctor Who had seen it as children and they couldn't believe they were working on it. So, yes, it was a fantastic show to work on. I mean, I used to bring lights out from my youth theatre to help them out. The visual effects guy used to bring a welder from his garage. And we, we wanted it to work and we were very proud to work on it. And we, we were amazed to be working on something that we had watched at home and thought never ever would, would, would we work in a programme like this. Well, the next one after... after Well, I suppose Time in the Run is also notable because it was Sylvester's first story. That's do you, right, do, yes. Do you remember we, the energy we, we, he brought to the set? Yes, he was great fun. Of course, I, you know, uh, I was meeting him for the first time, Bonnie Langford I knew of, and she, she was actually... She was good fun as well. And uh, one, of the thing, one of the things we had to do there, we had to do a shot of a... A bus travelling through space. Oh, yes. Now, this isn't difficult. I mean, this is a bit difficult. This was at Butlins Barry Island, and there's not a lot of space at Butlins Barry Island. 
what we ended up doing was parking the bus between two buildings, hanging a black black drapes in front and back so as you couldn't see anything out the windscreen. And then I brought a mirror ball from our youth theatre. I hung it in front of the bus, just out of shot of the camera, looking over the driver's shoulder. We put a light each side shining on the mirror ball and spun it. And in effect, what it looked like was a shower of meteorites. This bus was driving through a shower of meteorites. And there it was, a battered mirror ball, and we knocked some of the mirrors off and two clapped-out lights from our youth theatre. And it worked very well. And that, that, yeah, that was Delta and the Bannermen, which... Uh, Sorry, took, that, you're no, quite that's right. right. That's yeah, fine. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, yes, that's, you're uh, real. <laughs> direct, directed by Chris Clough, and that took you to Barry Island. That was when Doctor Who wasn't filmed in Wales very often, which, of course, it always is now. Yes, that, yes, that, that of course, is true. That's, that's a good point. I mean, I mean, Butlin's Barry Island was... It wasn't actually Butlin's. It, it was... I can't remember the holiday company who'd taken it over, but <laughs> it was it, it was a bit of a, 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 a you know put, put together with strings and sticky tape. <laughs> I remember the manager of the show tried to get the girls in the bar to go topless in the evening, and some of them left. Some of them simply walked out. I remember him. him he, he drove a Rolls Royce, and he would appear one day, and as he walked walked through the people on the way to his office he would sack people left and right I mean, and the, the, the riggers were we, we were all put up in Butlins and the riggers walked out because there were rats in their chalets oh and they goodness. actually went and booked into a hotel so, so the Butlins bit was uh, I mean it wasn't Butlins and it, it, was, it was a very strange holiday camp that of course is where we did the uh, we had to do the, the coach landing yeah, um, which we did by simply winching it up on a crane and then dropping it on a roundabout, and uh, and uh, all the cameramen, you know, set up the cameras and then ran for it and uh, let, left them lopped off, and we just exploded a you know exploded a pyro under the bus and dropped it on the roundabout. But it it, 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 it looks okay. It was good fun. But I uh, one one thing I do remember. There's two things I remember about the the Welsh ones three things I remember about the Welshmans. One was that we were going to shoot a bit in a, in a forest at a junction of four tracks. And we got the TARDIS there, we simply walked and checked it out, and then we went back to lunch. We didn't take any cameras, we, did, we just walked to make sure we, we, we knew what angles we were shooting from. When we came back from lunch, there was a family hiking and they suddenly found the TARDIS at a junction of two paths. And they were sort of tapping it and looking at it, very puzzled. Oh, beautiful! And uh, and then we had um, the you have to remind me, northern comedian tickle me. Oh, oh uh, Ken Dodd. We had Ken Dodd. Now, Ken never said the same lines twice, and we were doing a scene with him where he he was in command of a of a of a, of a service station in effect that yeah. the bus was calling into. It was in a disused airfield near near to Barry, and. We were, dropping a, we were dropping a spaceship in again on a crane and in the end we simply ran out of darkness. Uh, we, we could not get the same, same words out of him every time and in the end dawn came before we actually finished the shoot and, uh, and there we are. But the other lovely one there was we were doing a piece with Belinda Main who played, uh, who, who, who was... Uh, was Delta. Delta. She, she was indeed yeah. Delta out of the Bannerman. And we were doing a sequence where we had to blow the window out of a house. And 
the first take, all, we, we, we normally ran two cameras on the OB, and that's why we could do 11 or 12 minutes a day. It was almost shot as a studio sequence. You would use two cameras. You wouldn't always vision mix them, but you had a vision mixer in the truck who would watch the pictures and make sure there was nothing that wouldn't cut together when we came to the edit. And so we, had th we, we got a third camera, and we all different angles pointing at the front of the house so the windows would be blown out. Vis uh, three, two, one, visual effects, press the plunger, and a shed behind us blew up because they'd, uh, they connected the wrong wires. Now, it was possible they'd done it as a joke, but anyway, very funny. Of course, it, it sent Mr. Nathan Turner into a frenzy. So, so we, th we then try again, and we blow the windows out, and that's wonderful. And now at, the end, uh, at the end of a shoot, myself and the OB crew are usually the last ones there, sometimes the scene crew. So I'm the last one in this forest on a bank holiday Monday with the window having been blown out of this house. Now, they had borrowed the house and so they needed to get the window put back in. So they'd sent, they had phoned up Anglian Double Glazing to come and repair the window. As I'm standing there and just got rid of the OB van, there's just me standing on the lawn, the Anglian window guys turn up and their look of amazement was, was wonderful. They expected to come and mend a broken window. This window had been blown 12 foot onto the lawn. It was in smithereens. I mean, the, the whole thing was shattered, and they couldn't comprehend how anyone could break a window in such a way. You know? There's me having to explain to them, well, it was a sort of an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a strange world to show. I'm, I'm interested to know that um, Ken Dodd went on till dawn. Anyone who's seen one oh, of his stand-up shows yeah. would know that's the same as well. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it was. And then, we, yes, we had Stubby K on that as well. Yeah. And he, he, he used to... He used to stumble over his lines, and I'm trying to remember the other the other guy with him, the other American. Morgan Deer. Morgan yeah. Deer and Stubby K driving a Morris Minor, would you believe? For which I remember we got complaints, because I think it had got a split windscreen instead of a complete windscreen, and so the, the Morris Minor's fan club deluged us with complaints, saying that in, in 1952, October, you wouldn't have had one of those. Oh, uh, all, all, the usual, all the usual chaos you get from people, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys, what? It's just a, it's just a show. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's not a thing that the Doctor Who fans will register. I don't think. No, no, but you, you, you know, you can't do it. I mean, I, no. I, I work as a signalman on the Cantonese Sussex Railway. Sometimes people shoot at my station. Um, We've got concrete sleepers. They didn't have concrete sleepers in those days. So what you can do, if you've got the money, you can make wooden panels and put them over the ones in the foreground. In the background, there's a field of, a field of wheat. And my goodness, they've tied them up in rolls instead of having them as, you know, as, as wheat sheaves. And then we did have a complaint that a, a rose in the back of shot hadn't been promulgated at that point. It was, it was for, you know, and you, and you think... Someone from Roses R Us rang us up, and you can't do everything. It's money. You've got a certain amount of money. You can get the basics right, but these little things that experts spot, you simply you know you often know at the time it's wrong, but you you can't do it. It's not within your budget to do it. And yeah, and there's there's such things too much knowledge. Isn't yeah, there? yeah, yeah. Well, um, we were we were. T um, Talking to those, we actually could have met close to one of the locations that uh, you worked on because you've come via Waterloo. I have uh, indeed. Where you blew up a load of Daleks. We did on, on Bank Holiday Monday under the arches of Waterloo East Station. Um, visual effects are always worried that 
their explosions aren't going to be strong enough. And this was a battle between the white Daleks and, and the, the, the normal coloured Daleks. And I saw the visual effects guys, they were meant to blow the head off the Dalek. I saw them tipping the powder in and then looking at each other and thinking a little bit more and they put a little bit more in. And I said to them, how safe is it? How near can I go with the cameras? And they said, oh, no, it'll, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure. Now, when they say, I'm sure it will be fine, you think, no, they, they're not sure it'll be fine. So what I decided was I would tell the cameraman to frame up and then to walk, uh, walk away from the cameras. We'd record them in the truck. And so the white Daleks were meant to cross over the road on the far side of the arch. And the Dalek leader, Johnny... Uh, John Scott Martin? John Scott Martin. He was getting quite old by then. He couldn't quite make it over the camber of the road. And so he was actually being pushed by the scene boys with a bit of two-by-one to get him, up, get him up the slope of the road. And up came the Dalek into, into, through the arch. Bang! The Dalek had gone. It wasn't just its head had gone off. There was no Dalek. There was a dent in the road, but there was no Dalek. And I was standing back watching, and I was just missed by a pigeon with, with its wings folded and, the, uh, and the, the lens hood in the front of the camera came flying over my shoulder. And when we rewound the tape, it was 90 seconds to the first two-tone horn. And three fire engines and two ambulances turned up. And the, the firemen in the yellow helmets thought it was quite funny, but the one in the white hat and the feathers was a bit cross. And the guy from the ambulance, it was one of the ones with the sliding door, he jumped out with his first aid kit over his shoulder and he ran round the corner to where the smoke was still pouring out from under the arch. And his face, when he was confronted by a Dalek, was, was, was wonderful. <laughs> and the, the, there was a policewoman, uh, the local policewoman, had been allocated to look after us that day. And she said to me afterwards, at least it'll uh, liven up the next neighbourhood watch meeting. <laughs> but when the bang went off, all the smoke alarms went off, all the alarms went off in the cars in the street, all the alarms went off in Waterloo East. And, uh, and she told me afterwards that the, the girl in the 999 um, headquarters had actually heard the bang through the wall of the building and assumed it was a terrorist attack. Oh, how extraordinary. Uh, and then this, because we're talking as well about, this is the 25th. It was, it was news, indeed so the 25th, we're almost, yeah. We're, 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 yeah. we're that time again away now. Yeah, this, and this then we, yes, we went, yeah, we had to do the original scrapyard that was in the original episode, and uh, we went back to Kew Bridge Steam Museum because the sort of scrap they had in their yard was about right for the 1950s. And, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows the tale that they, they painted the name wrong on the gates and so we could only ever open one gate. Because um, they spelt the name Yeah, wrong. that's right. But we were doing one sequence in a Bedford Dormobile. Now, when you're doing travelling sequences in vehicles, you strap the camera either to the bonnet or you can strap it to the side of the vehicle. And sometimes the guy with the recorder would ride in the back but you've basically got a camera stuck on the side of a vehicle which makes it about two foot wider. Now, Sylvester at the best of times wasn't the best driver in the world and the chance of him knocking our camera off on a lamppost was quite high. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, he went through a railway bridge and nearly wiped it off and we were really pleased when it was Sophie's turn to drive because she was much better at it. Sylvester was a nightmare behind the wheel. <laughs> I know the one with the hearse and the clowns. That's I think great that, to that, show. That was great to show. 
Now, to get the shots in the hearse, what we did was, I mean, what, what you find out about hearses is, um, under the floor, they can carry a second coffin. So they can, go to their, they can go to their first funeral, and then they drive away from the funeral, park in a lay-by, get the coffin out from underneath, put it on top, and go and do the next funeral. So we had the engineer with the recorder stuffed into uh, under the floor of the hearse, uh, because in the long shot you'd see him if he sat in the back. And when we went to tea break, we forgot about him, and he was very cross. <laughs> Same as John, uh, John and the Dalek one week, we forgot about him once at tea break. And suddenly we saw the Dalek head going round and the sink plunger going. And he, you can't get out on your own, he couldn't get the lid off on his own. And he, he, he again, was a very cross man. Uh, the difference with um, Greatest Show in the Galaxy, which was, was sort of filmed in, in a sort of quarry-like location, and Time yeah. and the Rani. So Time and the Rani, it absolutely hurled it down, whereas Greatest yeah. Show well, looks very pretty. Right, it, it was really hot. That was really hot. We did the explosion in the... Uh, blew up the, the big top. That, that, that explosion was an enormous explosion. There's a running and theme here of visual effects letting off yeah. massive explosions. They, yeah, they, they're, they're great fun visual effects. Um, they came to a party in Arundel at the end of Silver, Silver Nemesis. Nemesis yeah. And um, they decided what they were having a party at a house with a, with a lovely lawn. I can't remember why we were going there. And they decided they'd bring up all the spare um, dry ice and get mist on the lawn, which was fine, except as they drove up the hill in the estate car, the dry ice filled the estate car, and the guy driving passed out. Luckily got, got the handbrake on and got the door open before, but, uh, yes, it was... Uh, just hadn't thought. Just threw all the dry ice in the back of the estate car in buckets, drove up the hill. Well, you've brought us neatly to Silver Nemesis, which was the 25th anniversary story, and it was uh, filmed a lot of location with that and Cybermen and spaceships and all sorts. So, what do you remember of that? Yeah, um, yes, Greenwich Gasworks, as used for Full Metal Jacket and now used for the Millennium Dome, which is also another show I did. I did the, I did the Millennium Dome on Millennium Night. We had to make sure we didn't get Canary Wharf in the back of shot. We got some outtakes of that where you can see Canary Wharf in the back of shot. And we were also, we did quite a few diverse uh, locations for Silver Nemesis. Uh, we used Aaron, we tried to get into Windsor Castle for the scenes which should have been in Windsor. We nearly made that because I used to do all the outside broadcasts from Windsor Castle. And I did get as far as getting the agreement of the controller of the castle that we could shoot Doctor Who in the castle. And what did it was the, the press office at Buckingham Palace uh, put, put the kibosh on that. So we went to Arundel Castle, which is the uh, the same architect. But when we were at um, when we were at Greenwich Gasworks, we tried to do a sequence with a flying blob of rock, as I remember, going past the camera. Oh yes, and, that's yeah. the Nemesis uh, retrack. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, I I just worked on the show. I'm not a Hoovian, so you have to remind me of, of the niceties <laughs> of what we were doing. When we shot this uh, bit of rock going past. We as a crew weren't happy. We'd got it very good. But it was the end of the day. John Nathan Turner didn't want to overrun, and so he, he called a halt. So when we were at Arundel Castle, we had a couple of BBC vans parked alongside each other, and after the wrap, we put a black cloth across between them and one at each end, and we, we re-rigged this, uh, this spaceship hanging between them. 
and we move the camera on track past it to give the same effect, put rails down. And in fact we did it, we, we, it was good, it worked well and that's what they used in the show. But that evening in the hotel I realised that John Nathan Turner was beside himself with rage that we'd done this. And I thought, well what on earth is going on here because you know, we, we've, we've got him a better shot than he had and in the end I went up to him and said, John, I don't understand what the problem is. And what he said to me was, I don't want to be beholden to anyone. And I thought, that's terrible. I said, look, we all work on Doctor Who. We're all proud of what we're doing. And we want to get it good. We weren't happy with what we did. We weren't charging you any overtime. We're doing it in our own time in the evening. And we got you a better shot. And, and that was his answer. He didn't want to be beholden to anyone. And, and that is really disappointing. Yeah. Well, and... Um whether he was beholden or not, you got through Doctor Who's 25th year and moved on to the, the last year, as it turned out, of Doctor Who for quite some time, which started with um, Battlefield, which was yep, another yep, one with lots Ru of locations. Rutland, Rutland Water, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that, for some reason we got thrown out, we, we upset the people in the house. There's a house on a sort of promontory in, into Rutland Water. And I don't remember what actually happened, but we upset the people in the house and were thrown out, in effect. And so we had to shoot just... We, we had got some shots done inside, but they weren't quite expecting the number of people who actually turned up to do it, I think is the problem. So we ended up having to shoot that outside. But I remember there was going to be an explosion in the lake, and... Uh, the local police often turned up on Doctor Who shoots because they, they were interested. So they turned up and they got out their police car and walked down to the lake. And we said, oh, the next thing we're doing, Sophie, I think, had to wade into the lake. And there was going to be an explosion. So visual effects had, uh, had put, put an explosive in the bottom of the lake. And uh, we said to the police, well, they said, look, you're probably a bit near. you better move your police car back a bit. Uh, because uh, we're not quite sure what was going to happen. So they moved the police car back. Bang went the explosion. And a great dollop of mud straight in the air and landed on the police car. <laughs> and they, they were very cross. They were convinced we'd done it intentionally, whereas, of course, we, we've no idea of the accuracy of things like putting bombs <laughs> in lakes. The other one I had forgotten at Arundel was... Again, they wanted an explosion like a mushroom cloud. Now, if you're going to make a mushroom cloud, what visual effects actually do is they dig holes in a circle and they put in each hole, this sounds ridiculous, a dustbin bag of petrol. And they fire them all together. And what it does, it sucks the air up the middle and you get a mushroom cloud. Now, I found them sitting in front of my outside broadcast unit, which was switched on, and had an air con on the roof, and when the air con tripped in, you got sparks. And they were sitting with jerry cans, leaning on the front of my OB van, pulling, pouring petrol into dustbin bags from jerry cans. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> and when this explosion eventually went off, the, the Duchess, Duke of... I'm trying to think, Duke, Duke of what it would be at Arundel. Anyway, the Duchess of whatever it was at Arundel turned up with her dog, and when this explosion went off, the dog went. I'm not sure if it ever came back, but that <laughs> dog went like a, like, like a dose of salts over the hill. We never saw it again. Dogs and big explosions is what Doctor Who seems to have yeah. been. Also at Hammersmith, also at a school in Hammersmith, the remembrance of the Daleks. Um, the 
caretaker's dog where it went off under an underpass under the A4. That was a strange one because we were working in a school playground right alongside the A4 and we were using a crane to drop in a spaceship mm. and within the spaceship I'd got a cable going up the crane arm and down into the spaceship and I'd got the sort of park hands that you use on pop lighting. I'd got a circle of those in each of the legs and with my lighting board I was spinning the lights round the around the circle of park hands and visual effects had a smoke uh, a big uh, canister of smoke up there and they were pumping smoke out the legs so as it landed smoke came out the legs and I was I was spinning the park hands uh, but quite what it did to rush our traffic on the A4 I have no idea with Battlefield you've been at Rutland Water and Curse of Fenric you were at um, Lulworth Cove so lots and lots ah, of water yes, now Lul- <laughs> Lulworth Cove was wonderful we were doing a sequence with hemovores. We'd set up on the beach. This was April. The water was cold. And we had a crowd of actors dressed as hemovores standing on the beach. And as we were about to start the shoot, a double-decker bus of geologists turns up uh, to chip away at the rocks. Now, they're wearing gumboots, scarves, gloves, warm coats. And what they see is this group of people on the beach, and the producer says to them, I want you to walk into the sea because the hemovores had to appear out of the sea, up to so up to your chest in water. When I shout action, I want you to go underwater, count to three, come up and walk ashore. To the amazement of these geologists, all these people walk into the sea. Action. Down they go, bottom stick up, elbows stick up. They've got so much rubber on them in, in latex on their heads that they're not going to sink. Uh, they've got, uh, they're all in sackcloth, they've got latex heads, they've got bits of pipe from B&Q and their back painted silver. So ashore they come and the cry goes out, find the heavy rocks. So makeup girls and electricians are sent along the beach looking for heavy rocks. And each team of is issued with a heavy rock, so take two. Out they go up to their, up to their uh, chest, action. They keep, cl- they keep clutching the rock, drop down, drop the rock, come up and walk ashore. And it sort of worked, but the smoke gun didn't work. So take three. Now the tide's coming up, the crew are backing up the beach, and uh, heavy rocks have now disappeared. So people are going far and wide attempting to find enough heavy rocks. So eventually take three works. But the final shot is the ancient hemovore coming out of the scene. This is the lion of all hemovores. This man has got an enormous latex head. He is not going to sink. So he wades out, he's got stage weights in his pocket, metal weights in his pocket, he's clutching heavy rocks. <clears throat> Action, down he goes, and to our amazement, he goes underwater. After three, he comes up and he starts walking ashore, and as he's walking ashore, he's suddenly scrabbling at his neck. His, his hands are trying to pull his neck open. What's happened is his head hasn't emptied, and he's drowning. So they get him ashore, <gasps> and... John Nathan Turner, not, not, not a man with a lot of patience, then has a go at the wardrobe department. What's the matter with you people? Professionals, drain holes in the head. How do I need to teach you like in primary school? So they make drain holes in the head. We've now lost the stage weights. We've lost the heavy rocks. We're trying to find an, anything heavy that will make this man sink. So out he goes eventually uh, for take two. Down he goes. Up he comes. He starts walking ashore. Now at this point... John Nathan Turner is beside himself with rage. The crew are in hysterics. He looks like a watering can. 
Well, I'm surprised anyone survived to make it to the last survival, uh, the last story, but yeah. survive you all did. Do the last classic Doctor Who story, the last Doctor Who story for many years on television, which was yeah. survival and in a heatwave. As I remember, it wasn't actually shot last, am I right there? That's right, no, yeah. yeah it um, wasn't, it wasn't Ghost shot Light was shot, which was no, studio No, one. now, yes, yeah, survival was very odd. Um, it was sh- we started off shooting in Perivale because Ace was supposed to come from Perivale. And so the idea was, why don't we go to Perivale and shoot it? Now, the opening shot of the whole show was going to be an animatronic cat sitting on the pillar of, a, of a, just a house in an ordinary street. And a milkman had to go past the cat to deliver milk. And it was meant to scratch him or, or lean, lean out towards him and scratch him. And we set up, we've got everything set up, but visual effects seem reluctant to get the cat out of his box. (laughs) Now, eventually, they get the cat out of his box and sat it on the pillar. And I was laughing so much, I had to go behind a tree. Because because anything that looked less like a cat was was this creature. It was leaning over, it had a strange smile on its face, and in no way... Was, was this like any cat anyone had ever seen? Of course, John Nathan Turner was in a terrible state because this, this, was, this, this was the linchpin of his whole show. And so he, he sent visual effects back to their base in Acton to sort out this cat. Now, we're now stuck. We can't shoot the opening sequence. But as ever with Doctor Who, people gather around a crowd of kids. So we said, anyone got a black cat? Three of them came back with a black cat. We sat one of them on the pillar. The milkman walked through and it scratched him. Take one. All in huh. one take. And the next sequence in Perivale was a tiger riding a horse. Cheetah. Yeah. It was a cheetah riding a horse. Yeah. So an actress dressed as, a, dressed as a cheetah is riding a horse, apparently in the midst of nowhere. This was in a, uh, This was in a sort of a park in Perivale with the central line on one side and the A40 the other. This was, of course, a, a challenge for the sound people to get, get, get rid of the clackety-clack of underground trains, the hoot of traffic, and for us to get a, a believable shot of a cheetah riding a horse in the middle of nowhere through this recreation ground in Perivale. But, uh, and when we eventually went to the sand pit, it was so hot that some of the actors in the costumes were actually fainting. Yeah. And we were having to ferry iced water from the base because you're in a sand pit. You're, you're, it is. It's what it says. It's a pit. You're down in a pit with no wind, the sun reflecting off the sand, and it really is a nightmare. And the bus was back in that, wasn't it? Yes. I'm right yes, that's saying. right. Yeah. So the Turned same. Into a hippie yeah, bus. That's yeah. right. So the hay, the same bus reappeared in the sand pit. Yes. He's got a very good agent, that bus. Yes, yes, it was, a, yes, it, it was great to see it again, I have to say. Yeah. Well, look, I've exceeded the time I said I'd take it from no, you. So let's, let's, no, it's great for me. I'm just through your time. Uh, what's the charity you support, Ian? I, I think Water Aid. I, I think Water Aid is a great charity. It, it, it's, it helps people 
to help themselves to, uh, to, to dig wells, to lay pipes, and actually to get water into the villages in Africa and other, other places where there's a great lacking of water. So it supplies the equipment, it supplies the knowledge, but then leaves the people locally in charge and, uh, and, uh, and with water which they've never had before. And I think Water Aid is a great charity. Yeah, me too. And uh, the final thing is we're doing this for Doctor Who's 50th anniversary. So what, what, what's your message to the Doctor Who fans? How would you sum up your Doctor Who experience? I think for someone who used to watch it, watch it at home, it was fantastic to work on it. You would sometimes forget what you were doing. I'd be, I remember walking down Arundel High Street with a Cyberman and people kept moving aside, letting us through. And it seemed perfectly reasonable thing to me to do so. Um, so I think my memory of Doc... And, and, and there were great people on it. Soph, Sophie was lovely. Sylvester was lovely. I helped run a youth theatre at my home in Sunbury. And Sophie came down one Sunday afternoon and spent four hours talking to the kids about acting. Uh, which, which was great that, that, that she would be willing to do that. So, and Sylvester was really good with people who turned up on site. Uh, and he would be good at spotting kids who'd lost their nerve and wouldn't come up to him and he would go and go across and have a word himself. So, so both Sophie and Sylvester, I think, were, were really good in, in, that, in that last, those last blocks that I worked with them. Well, that's brilliant. And you've been great company today. So, Ian Dow, thank you very much. A pleasure. Thanks, Ian. That's great. That's fantastic. Bit wow. Of, a bit of editing. Yeah, but better to have more. Better to have more. Thanks to Ian and thanks to Bill Dudman for putting us in touch. That was a lot of fun. Ian's charity is WaterAid, which is www.wateraid, all one word, .org. WaterAid, all one word, .org. There's another Who's Round next time. It's the one I'm currently editing. It is quite a thing. So if I get it done in time, I'm sure I will. Uh, more behind the scenes uh, stuff and quite a character in uh, the next edition. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll see you there. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome. My name is Theo. We are fortunate to have found each other. All of us. A community of like minds. We must look upon it as an opportunity to absolve, evolve, reconnect with Gaia. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Molly had a note passed under her door during the night. I hope your burns are healing and lucky is on the mend. You are in danger here. Take care. I mean you no more harm, but I have seen things. May God protect you. Already there is unease. This ease. Disease. Sickness. Feel it in our midst. I had it. I had the death, but... You survived. I did. I'm a mess. So, you're a survivor. Books... Buildings, laboratories, we have so little left. There's always something to salvage. Well, if you feel the need to run, Greg, then run. Stop! What are you doing? Ah, what have you done? You, 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 stop it! Stop it! Leave him alone!
Survivors. Series 4.